minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. If you wonder what anarchy is all about, simple concept based on the word anarchos, the Greek for without rulers. It's a society without rulers. How do you create a society without rulers? You devolve power and you hold wealth in common. It's inequalities in power and wealth which give rulers the building blocks of authoritarianism, the building blocks of them being able to use the state apparatus to impose their will on you. So the way you break down rulers is to actually change the infrastructure. So you devolve power, hold wealth in common. Equality in power and wealth is the poison that destroys the power that rulers are actually able to impose on you. So what's an anarchist? Well, an anarchist is somebody who's involved in that struggle to devolve power and equalise wealth. It's very simple. The more the devolution of power, the more power in people's hands, in the community's hands, the less chance of rulers using institutional structures to impose their will on you. The greater the struggle against inequality, the more likely that we can create a society without rulers. So it's a very simple idea. Anarchos without rulers. All right, look, there's, look, I'll go one from ages, but I'm sure you're not interested in that. I'm sure you're more interested in what's happening around the place today. And uh, Anarchus Will this week is a combination of commentary and a combination of uh, explaining and bringing to your attention activities that we've organised that are designed to develop power and equalise wealth. Let's start off with this concept of equality. This little cul-de-sac that we as society currently find ourselves in. This struggle for equality or equality of opportunity because when people talk about equality in our society, they talk about equality of opportunity, <clears throat> as if life isn't a handicap race. 
Look, I don't think that giving individuals who are different the ability to exercise power is really going to change anything in the long term. And we see this dichotomy, this split in thinking every day. As we see a change in the gender and the religious orientation, cultural and racial orientation of boards and institution as people apply pressure for equality of opportunity. The sad fact is, as we see all around us, that pursuing this struggle without making those fundamental institutional changes which devolve power and share wealth that ultimately that particular struggle only benefits a very small minority of people and has minimal impact on society as a whole. So we shouldn't be talking about a quality of opportunity. What we should be talking about is equity, fairness for everyone, not just those who can use the institutional structures to get to the levers of power and then use those levers of power for their own benefit. The other thing that... Something I've noticed in the last decade or two is this concept that that all struggle is useless that you can't fight City Hall, uh, that nothing ever changes, that you may as well just, you know, try to enjoy yourself and keep your eyes closed. And it is an all-pervasive feeling in Australian society currently. The fact that it doesn't matter what you do or try to do, that nothing will ever change. And it's exactly the attitude that those in authorities, those who exercise power, those who control wealth, want you to have. It's it's not apathy, it's resignation. It's peeping out of your, you know, looking through the windows of your bedroom and looking at the big wide world and saying, well... What I do will have no impact. What I do is inconsequential, so I'm not going to bother. I'll just pull the blinds together again and live my own life in my little bedroom. And the reality is that this is the type of attitude that's fostered in our community, that you can't fight City Hall 
that you can't initiate change. The political struggle and social struggle is a waste of time. And this type of attitude seems to have become all pervasive in our community. And all we have to do is look at historical examples. As a society, not just in Australia but the rest of the world, there have been major advances, huge advances, as well as, obviously, there's been major disasters. But the advances outweigh the disasters. But this attitude that you just can't change things is, is all pervasive. The facts are very simple. That in order to create a ripple in a river, you need to throw that stone in that river. And it doesn't matter how small the stone is, it has an impact on that river. It's the same with society. You may not win that struggle you initiate. You may be part of a political, social or cultural movement that may take 20, 30, 40, 50 years to bear fruit. But the fact is that if you don't take that first step and keep looking around you for somebody else to take that first step, the change will never occur. Now people say, oh, you're so lucky you live in Australia. Well, you know why you're lucky you live in Australia. One, obviously, we all know that, you know, we've taken over somebody else's land in the most brutal fashion. We understand that. Although society doesn't acknowledge that, especially those people that exercise power in our country don't acknowledge that. But secondly, the brutality that was heaped upon the early convicts and immigrants that came to this country was just extraordinary. And the fact that you enjoy a social security system, which has got obviously more gaping holes as we go along, the fact that you enjoy access to healthcare and education, irrespective of its limitations because of the way it's been, you know, by the way, successive governments and corporations have attempted to privatise these institutions. The fact is, none of this would have occurred unless people in the past had taken that first step. None of this would have occurred unless somebody had thrown a pebble into that fast-flowing River, And that pebble was the catalyst for change. So of course we can fight City Hall. Of course we can initiate change. Of course we can organise. Of course we can change the course of history. Of course you can be a prominent 
your participation in that struggle is vital, fundamental for that change to occur. Will that change occur in a day or a week or a month or a year or a decade or a century? Who knows? But if you don't make that initial effort, nothing changes. And the same goes for your everyday life. I mean, obviously, we are all burdened by the everyday issues we have to face at a personal level, interpersonal level, community level, workplace level, existential level, and the list goes on and on. But if we allow that to consume us for every moment of our day, we then become resigned to our fate. And resignation in the face of what seemed to be impenetrable odds is the key issue that we have to face fight against, face and fight against. Because if we resign ourselves to our fate, nothing changes. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast by the Community Radio Network on your local community radio station. All right, something a little bit more, you know, a bit more solid, okay? I mean, I could pontificate here for the next... 10 decades and uh, obviously nothing's going to change. So it's about talking, discussing, organising, acting, forcing change. Now, I'm a little bit concerned about changes that affect the, I think it's almost 700,000 or 500,000, or could be 700,000 people who currently are dependent on a new start allowance to survive. Because you you may not know this, but a number of administrative changes have been made by the Minister, that was Madam Cash before she uh, threw in a lot for Mr Dutton, and now uh, these changes have been implemented by, I think it's Madam Kelly, regarding the new start allowance which are a fundamental attack, a fundamental attack on what few rights individuals in a New Start allowance have and, more importantly, a a fundamental shift in the responsibility for applying sanctions and penalties to people on New Start allowance. Because although the private sector, the job, the so-called jo- so-called job active system, is totally privatised, and people who receive a New Start allowance have had to deal with these privatised organisations for decades now. The organisations never had the direct power to penalise and suspend people they interacted with, 
people who were forced to attend their meetings. That was a Centrelink decision. That was a government decision. But that has changed since July. A job agency can now, independently of Centrelink, suspend payments for a whole variety of reasons, some of which is just a matter of personal opinion. And there's no right of appeal to that suspension. Although they have to bring you back in three days' time. It's a little bit like pressure. I don't like what you're saying, boy. I don't like what you're saying, girl. You've shown me a little bit of disrespect. We're going to suspend your payments for three days. We'll see you in three days' time. I still don't like your attitude. And a private job agency the person you interact with, can now apply four suspensions in a row before Centrelink becomes involved. And obviously then you've got the usual garbage regarding suspension of payments. But this is a fundamental shift in the way penalties are applied. Because normally it's the state, at the local, state and federal level, which applies penalties. It is the state. But now, the state, through a ministerial directive, not through legislation, can apply, has abrogated that responsibility to privately owned businesses privately owned corporations, it has given them the power to apply penalties to people receiving a new start allowance for the most spurious of reasons. And these penalties can mean that somebody has no access to that pitiful level of income for up to three, two, three, four, five, six weeks before Centrelink reviews the decisions. It's an extraordinary state of affairs. Now, the Job Active system is now under investigation. And for the first time since the privatisation of the government's responsibility to attempt to employ people for an employment office, CES, the Job Active system is under parliamentary scrutiny because of these changes in legislation. And I'm encouraging as many of our listeners as possible to make a submission to the Senate Education and Employment Committee. The deadline for submissions is the 28th of September and this will allow the Senate to look at these changes that have occurred that now allow private corporations and businesses to apply penalties on behalf of the government on individuals that the government is supposed to be 
supporting through a new start allowance. Either go to the website you can go to is aph.gov.au, aph.gov.au, or you can send a submission before the 28th of September to the Senate Education and Employment Committee, Post Office Box 6100, Post Office Box 6100, Parliament House, Canberra, ACT 2600. So go to the website, aph.gov.au, look at the Senate Education and Employment Committee, make your submission. Because if there is no exposure of what's actually happened, don't expect a corporate-owned media and a government girl at ABC, which is tends to concentrate on the trivia in an exceptionally number of situations, to actually take this up as a, as a serious issue. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, as you know, I think for the last 10 years or so, the Anarchist Marine Institute, through the Reclaim the Radical Spirit of the Eureka Rebellion Celebrations Group, has been giving out a, a Eureka Australia medals. We were sick and tired. Nauseous. Nauseous. Nauseous, to be exact. I've seen time and time again so-called honours being given to many people the usual suspects in the so-called Invasion Day honours list and the uh, New Year's Day honours list. And we thought, we know lots of people out there. We know lots of people in the community who've done the hard yards, who for decades have worked hard for their community, who have worked hard to create an inclusive society, who have worked hard to devolve power, who have worked hard on specific you know, issues and all they've got for their troubles is odium and anger and ostracisation. And although they were the catalyst which has created a lot of change in this society, their contribution is forgotten. All the years and decades they've spent trying to improve the lot of the many before the few has not only been hit, written out of the history books, it's been totally ignored. So on the 3rd of December every year, during the Reclaim the Radical Spirit of the Eureka Rebellion celebrations we hold in Ballarat, and this year it'll be on Monday the 3rd of December, at Bakery Hill, at the very site the Eureka Oath was taken on the 29th of November 1854, we give out six Eureka Australia medals to activists who have demonstrated their commitment to creating an inclusive egalitarian community. We have an open nomination system. Nominations are open. They'll close around the tenth of fifteenth no- of November, and we need nominations as soon as possible. The sooner you get them in, the sooner we can contact people. We need the person's name, a sentence or two about what they've done, and a contact address. 
whether it's an email address or a postal address, so we can write to them and ask them whether they'd be happy to accept the Eureka Australia Medal. So nominations are now open. You know someone? They don't have to be a well-known figure. And that's the key about this. It's not about rewarding well-known figures. It's about rewarding those people who've done the hard yards, who've done the work, who may not have been instrumental in achieving change, but whose efforts and energy and commitment is the glue that ensured that change came about. So you can either send me nominations to anarchistage at yahoo.com, anarchistage at yahoo.com, or you can post them to Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. This is one way that you can honour someone who's done the hard work, who's been ignored by society, who hasn't been acknowledged for the efforts they've made. It can be in any field of human endeavour. It doesn't matter what the field of human endeavour is. And we will award that medal to that particular individual or representative from that individual's family because it may have been somebody who's died recently who was never honoured because we do uh, give posthumous awards also. It's a beautiful hand-cast, eight-pointed Eureka Star medal. So send in your nominations, Post Office Box 20, Parkville, 3052. Email them to anarchistage at yahoo.com. If you want further information, leave a message on 439 and I'll get back to you. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Okay, let's move on. Debt. Now, it's interesting, isn't it, that when you, we talk about debt in Australia, and again, I'm going to concentrate on Australian debt, we talk about government debt. And I was looking at a few figures in the last few days which have been a little bit interesting. On current figures, Australia's debt stands at around $7 trillion. That's $7,000 billion. Dollars, okay. And if you do pay tax and you get a tax statement, you'll get a little bit of a piece of paper telling you how much interest the government is paying on government debt. You know, and everybody talks about government debt, local government debt, state government debt, federal government debt. 
Now, I think you'd be surprised to know that that's $7 trillion only one billion is gov- sorry one trillion one thousand billions is government debt about half federally and about a quarter each the state and local governments so about a, a trillion dollars is government debt so what about the other six trillion dollars of debt in our community well about a trillion dollars is business debt, corporate debt, business debt. So it runs on a par, business and corporate debt, with government debt. So that leaves $5 trillion. And the tragedy is that during the deregulation, privatisation, corporatisation, globalisation period, what we've seen is the explosion of personal debt and housing debt. Almost $5 trillion of debt in this country is debt which has been provided by the financial sector to individuals as personal debt or to individuals or couples or little groups as housing debt. Two trillion of that is housing debt and almost three trillion is personal debt. So when you put all this together, seven trillion dollars debt in a population of 25 million means that each man, woman and child owes almost a quarter of a million dollars. When you look at these figures and you compare them with the United States, which is a, we are told is a huge debtor nation, well, their debt per head of population is half what our debt is per head of population. So what's all this airy-fairy talk about trillions and thousands of billions and debt mean to me, okay? Well, it's very simple. It's very simple. We, as a community, are standing on a cliff. And what we've seen over the last few months is the privately owned banks, and they're only privately owned banks in this country, slowly beginning to increase interest rates on personal debt, business debt and housing debt. And with wages being stagnant and with unemployment being unemployment rates still hovering around 5% and with underemployment being a significant feature of 20 to 30% of the population's uh, in our everyday experiences you can see that small incremental rises in interest rates which will be required for the banking sector and the financial sector to manage all this debt which they've sold to individuals and families in this country, 
can have a profound implication, not just on individuals who are going to have more and more difficulty meeting their financial uh, responsibilities, but a profound implication on the economy of the nat- on the economy of the country as a whole. Think about it. So next time somebody craps on about government debt, you crap on about private debt and how the amount of money that's been borrowed by our financial institutions and then relent to us over the last four decades has created this perfect storm which could result in major, significant pain and suffering for significant segments of the Australian community. And the segments that I'm really concerned about are all those people who've got their money in superannuation, who after 2008, many found that what they thought was a secure nest egg disappeared overnight. So we are seeing, a decade later, the same conditions, if not worse, reappearing in the world economic system. Ah, it's almost enough to get a little bit worried, isn't it? Listen to the Anarchist World this week. Now, last week I said I'd talk about Peter Norman Week, and people say, oh, well, what are you bothering about that old bloke, you know? You know, we know he's a great athlete. On the 16th of October, 1968, he got the silver medal in the 200 metres in, in the Olympic Games in Mexico City. And we know that record still stands. Well... Peter Norman is becoming more and more significant every day. And as convener of the Peter Norman Commemoration Committee, we have a number of things that we would like to see occur, which you know about, like a major interactive monument in the soon-to-be-redeveloped Melbourne City Square. But we are also holding a week of events to mark that day during the 50th anniversary year. And the Peter Norman week will stretch from the 19th... Sorry, I got it wrong again. From the 9th, Tuesday the 9th of October to Tuesday the 16th of October. One week of events. So why is Peter Norman so important? Well, he's... Look, he's of, he's of minor interest to me as an athlete. A very minor interest. What is important that an era of increasing division, in an era of heightened racism, in an era of increasing inequality, in an era where our institutions can no longer pretend that they can actually deal with the increasing fear and frustration and anger which is spilling out in our community to other segments of the community, the minorities in the community, what happened on the 16th of October 1968 is fundamental to our understanding of who we are, but more importantly, of who we can be in Australian society. Well, in 1968, at the height of the civil rights movements, when race riots were sweeping across the United States of America, and those of us who are old enough to remember 1968, and I think I was 17 in 1968, will realise 
that change was afoot. Over 2,000 people had been killed just before the Mexico Olympics in Mexico City by the military authorities trying to contain protests of Mexican people who didn't want the Olympics to be there. And when that 200 metres race was run in the sanctity of that stadium, Mr Tommy Smith won gold, the Australian Peter Norman won silver, and the Afro-American John Carlos won bronze. And the Afro-American component of the United States Olympic team was under enormous pressure not to protest in any way, not to support their brothers and sisters in the United States. And they'd set up an organisation called the Olympic Project for Human Rights. Not the Olympic Project for Black Rights or White Rights or Yellow Rights or Rights for, you know, left-handed leprechauns, but the Olympic Project for Human Rights. And when Mr Smith and Mr Carlos approached Peter Norman, who was, I think he was 26, and they said, told him what they were going to do on the dais, and they asked him, do you, do you believe in God? Do you support universal human rights? And Peter Norman said yes. This young teacher from Australia, an Australia which still had implemented a white Australia policy, an Australia which only the year before had passed a referendum which actually included this country's indigenous people who had been on this continent and the islands surrounding this continent for over 60,000 years, the right to be counted in the census and the right for the Commonwealth government to override racist state legislation and actually pass legislation on their behalf. This young man said, I will stand with you. I will stand with you. And he stood with them on that dais when they gave the human right salute. He stood with them for the rest of his life to such as an extent that when he died in two, on the 9th of October 2006, that Tommy Smith and John Carlos came here to this country, to Melbourne, and acted at his pallbearers as well as speaking at his funeral, and the American Track and Field Association, for the first time in its history, declared a specific day in honour of an individual. They declared the 9th of October, the day of his funeral, as Peter Norman Day. And the strength of this is that we, every day of our lives, we can be Peter Norman. And in the majority of cases, we walk away and as we see the amount of aggressive 
behaviour in our community increase and as we see frustration increase and as we see elements in our society whipping up our differences to promote hate for short-term political advantage. We have now reached a period where we all need to be Peter Norman. We all need to be able to step in and say, I will stand with you. Whether it's discrimination against gender, regarding gender, sexual orientation, race, nationality, culture, religion. In public spaces, in private spaces, we need to support people and say, I will stand with you. And that is the lesson of the 16th of October 1968. It's a lesson which continues to reverberate and be as important today as it ever has been in the history of the human race and the history of this country. Because allowing behaviour which is unacceptable to continue without confronting that behaviour creates, creates that fear and instability and insecurity which individuals and groups and political organisations can exploit to push their one-dimensional agendas. So on the 9th of October, we'll be holding Peter Norman Commemoration Day at midday on the steps of the Melbourne City Hall, to which you are all welcome, midday, Tuesday the 9th of October. On Thursday, the 11th of October, I'll be conducting a public meeting at Coburg Library, which has been which has been supported by the Moreland City Council, on the significance of Peter Norman today. On the 13th of October, the Victorian Athletics Association will be running a Peter Norman Classic in Doncaster, and on Tuesday, the 16th of October, the Peter Norman Commemoration Committee, which I'm convener of, is holding a one-day summit on human rights, past, present, the future, entitled I Will Stand With You. We have many guest speakers, and I'll speak about those guest speakers next week. Some are coming from interstate. It's a full-day summit. It's a practical day to which you're all welcome to, which will be held at the Melbourne Unitarian Peace Memorial Church at 110 Gray Street. But early next week, the full program for Peter Norman Week will be up on the Peter Norman Commemoration um, Committee's uh, Facebook page and also be up on my personal Facebook page and a number of other Facebook pages. And we want you to spread that message far and wide. Each and every one of us needs to take that action. And considering the penalty these three men faced in their lives for taking that simplest, making that simplest statement, that very simple statement about universal human rights, we owe it to 
to protect their legacy and memory. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, next, I think the rest of the program will devote to public housing. Now, it's quite interesting. I was speaking to some people I know yesterday who'd, uh, you know, it's election time in Victoria, and we all know the Victorian state government is in the process of uh, privatising public housing, giving it, giving it away to the community, social and affordable housing sector. So they saw their local Labor politicians out in the west, no, 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 sorry, out in the uh, south, southwest, southwest, south of the Arrow. About 50, they were about 45, 50 k's from the Melbourne CBD. Nice Sunday, and there they were. You see them around now, the political animals, they come out looking for your vote. And uh, had a chat. And uh, as both of these people, who I know, are in public housing, and uh, they volunteer to assist people in uh, boarding houses, people who are homeless or you know, on the verge of homelessness. They've been doing it for a number of years. They know their bickies. So they roll up to their local ALP candidates and ask them about the the uh, policy on public housing. And the first word that came out of their mouths was, well, we support social housing. And my friend said, excuse me, we're not talking about social housing. That's privately owned housing. We're talking about public housing. What are your policies of public housing? Public housing is publicly owned and publicly managed. Public housing provides secure accommodation for people on low incomes. End of story. Oh, oh, and it went on and on and on. And it was obvious that the ALP in Victoria does not have a public housing policy. It has a social housing policy. It has a community housing policy. And the Liberal National Party does not have a public housing policies. They do not have public housing policies. The only people that have public housing policies at the forthcoming state election in Victoria are the Victorian Greens and the Victorian Socialists. It's that simple. Secure housing is fundamental to the type of society we are. It's fundamental to the future of children. It's fundamental to any society. And next Wednesday, the 19th of September, will be the last parliamentary sitting day in Victoria. And public housing, everybody's business, and defend and extend public housing, will be holding their monthly rally on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House. But this time it'll be different. Midday, the 19th of September. This time we will be unfurling our five-metre banner, which will be held up during the 10-day vigil from the 14th of November to the 24th of November. Because we have a policy, a very simple policy, to quarantine stamp duty, money raised by stamp duty, $6 billion a year for public housing. If you do that, you can house 1 million Victorians within a decade. And you don't even have to go on a massive, massive public building program. You can do it through spot purchasing. And why is it everybody's business? Because there's a downward impact on rents. It means there's competition between the public and the private sector, so rents decrease. And housing price at the lower end of the market decrease, which means people can actually get into public housing, can actually, sorry, get into private housing. So this is a fundamental campaign. 
And those of you who think that somehow the Labor Party policy is better than the Liberal Party policy, it isn't. They're fundamentally the same. They're about washing their hands of their responsibility to provide for the citizens of the state of Victoria. And the tragedy is that in this campaign, unlike other campaigns I've been involved in over the last five decades, the usual suspects are not there. It's just us. Us and a few other little groups, some run by public housing tenants, some run by special interest groups that are fighting this so-called losing battle for public housing, while the major political parties get on their privatisation bandwagon telling us how good it's going to be when private organisations run the public housing sector. And I think to myself, how wonderful it has been since the Commonwealth Bank has been privatised and private organisations have dominated the banking and financial sector. How wonderful it has been as the not-for-profit sector, the nurses in the uh, aged care sector, decreases and the for-profit sector increases and all the problems associated with that privatisation of aged care. And then I look at childcare and all the problems that have occurred as the publicly funded sector and the not-for-profit sector shrinks rapidly and a number of private corporations dominate the marketplace as far as childcare is concerned. Then I look at all the problems that occurred when Medibank Private was privatised and all the problems that have occurred when essential, essential infrastructure like electricity, gas, have been privatised and even public roads privatised. And the list goes on and on. Whether it's the privatisation of the airports where you give corporations monopoly control or privatisation of the ports or, as in Victoria recently, the privatisation of the titles office or the privatisation of the law courts where the county court is actually rented from a private organisation or the privatisation of the management of Federation Square where, you know, you can't have a protest, you know, without permission or the privatisation of the Southern Cross Station where you've got 90 centimetres by which to express your opinion, where public footpaths have been privatised, or South Bank. And the list goes on and on. I'm thinking to myself, do these people really think we are such idiots, that we are such morons, that we will allow them to dictate policy? Housing is fundamental and public housing is fundamental at the next state, Victorian state election, which will be held as an issue, which will be held on the 24th of November. Not to these people. It's all about law and order. Few more protective services officers during railway stations during the day. And maybe a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But when it comes to this essential, fundamental issue, nothing. So we need your help. It's that simple. We can't do this by ourselves. We need your help. If you want public housing to be around after the next state election, we need your help. We need to make this an election issue. And we can do it through a number of ways. Come to the rally on the 19th of September, midday, steps to the Victorian Parliament House. But more importantly, come along to the 10-day vigil from the 14th to the 24th of November. 
If you play any musical instrument, come along and entertain us. Bring food. Sit on the steps. Join us. Block the streets. Make public housing a significant election issue. And more importantly, promote the idea that public housing is everybody's business. Promote that idea in the community. Promote the idea that we can actually win this battle. Do not resign yourself to the fact that nothing changes. Nothing changes if you do nothing. Things change when we do something. And as I said, I've been looking around at different electorates. Now, Mr Foley, who is the architect of the privatisation agenda for the social community and affordable housing sector in Victoria, is the member for the seat of Albert Park, which has been held by the Labor Party continuously since 1950. Now, Albert Park takes in takes in St Kilda West, obviously Albert Park, Middle Park, Port Melbourne, South Melbourne, parts of Docklands and parts of uh, South Bank, and as well as, you know, as I said, parts of St Kilda. So if you find yourself living in that region and you are on the Victorian electoral roll and you'd like somebody with a little bit of oomph to stand in that election, and that's me because I am livid about this particular issue because I can actually see the end of public housing if either of the major political parties wins uh, power in their own right and you'd like to nominate me to stand for that seat, give me a ring. 0439. 395489. Email me at defend and extend public housing or a private message on my Facebook page, Toscano for the Public or Joseph Toscano. So I'm interested. I'm willing to do the hard work. It's up to you. If you're not interested, nothing changes. Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week. Don't forget the 19th of September, midday, steps of the Victorian Parliament House, public housing, everybody's business. The phone number, 0439-395-489. You can email us at anarchistage at yahoo.com. Go to the following Facebook pages. Public Housing, Everybody's Business. Defend and Extend Public Housing. Pibci, uh, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Join Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. Download the application form now. So, uh, as I said, you can either resign to what's happening or you can become part of a political, social and cultural movement to change things. The ball's in your court. All I can do is my best. I can't do any more than that. Thank you for the listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of those good people at the Community Radio Network. Evil minds that plot destruction Death's construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.